Now, we're going to get in the scriptures. We're going to get back into Paul's letter to the Colossians. So you can go ahead and open and turn there. All right, and if you are using one of those fine blue Bibles we provide, we're going to be on page 983. 983. All right, so here's what we're going to do. We're going to pick up where we left off last time in Colossians. And uh, just as a recap, uh, a few weeks ago, we looked at the opening of this letter, so verses 1 through 8 which included Paul's introduction and greeting, these, the standard opening to the, the epistles that we, we have in the New Testament, his standard uh, introduction and greeting to the Colossian Christians, and we, we saw also in verses 3 through 8 his thanksgiving to God, our Creator and Father in heaven, for the powerful working of the gospel in their lives. And the gospel, what does gospel mean? Gospel's a, what's that? It's a term, it means something, it refers to what? Good news. Good news, not just any news, it is the good news that, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came into this world as a perfect man and gave his life as a ransom to God for sinners. He allowed himself to, to be delivered into the hands of lawless men. He allowed that. Men who condemned him to death and nailed him to a cross, he allowed that. And upon this cross, he, he willingly presented himself to God as a sinless substitute to bear the wrath of God in the place of all who would trust in him. Bear the wrath of God for the sins of all who would trust in him. He died for sins and he rose again. And all who repent and believe receive his perfect righteousness to their credit. That's justification. Through those who repent and believe on him, they receive his righteousness credited to their account, full pardon for their sins, citizenship in his everlasting kingdom that is to come and the hope of eternal life with him in glory we talked about that the hope of glory resurrection unto glory just like his resurrection this is the gospel that's the gospel it is the power of god for salvation to everyone who believes and according to what paul wrote this gospel this message of the truth of God's grace to all who trust in Christ, it had taken root in the hearts of these men and women in the small town of Colossae. And it was bearing fruit and it was increasing among them. Paul had heard that report. People were coming to saving faith in Christ. And this was proven to be genuine by what? What proved that their faith was actually genuine, that they had new life in Christ? Do you remember? It was their love for all the saints, their love for all the saints, the church. This is something that Paul and his associate Timothy rejoiced in and thanked God for. And we saw that last time. Now, this morning in verses nine through twelve, we're going to see what Paul and Timothy continually prayed for on behalf of these Christians in Colossae. Since they first heard from Epaphras the news that these people had believed the gospel and had begun to experience this newness of life in Christ. So we're going to look at, in light of that, what they pray for on their behalf. These Colossians 
They have been saved by the grace of God through faith in Christ. And what we'll see laid out in this prayer is what they ought to do from this point forward. So what now? If they, if they were enslaved to their sins, if they were spiritually dead in their sins and trespasses, and God made them alive in Christ, pardoned them for sin, gave them righteousness, and gave them new life in Christ, well, what now? They're saved. And we're going to see that in this forward, uh, in this prayer, what they ought to do going forward. So what should their ultimate goal in life be? What will enable them to achieve this goal? And what should characterize their lives along the way? And the answers to these questions are summed up well in this prayer. We're going to see that. And what we're going to do is we're going to cover up through the first part of verse 12. And then uh, next week we're going to pick it up where we, as usual, left off. In that, in the middle of verse 12, and we'll go on through verses 14. So this morning, 9 through the first part of verse 12, where Paul elaborates uh, on his prayer. He prays and he elaborates on, on what he's praying for. And then next week we're going to cover where Paul elaborates on the reality of our salvation that God has graciously given to us in Christ, what he's done for us in Christ. So let's read the text, starting in verse 9. Paul writes this, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy, giving thanks to the Father. So what exactly were Paul and Timothy asking God for on behalf of the Colossian Christians? What were they asking for? There's something really specific they're asking for. What's their continual request? In verse 9, what do we see? We see that it was that the Colossians might be filled with what? The knowledge of God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That was the request. That was what they were continually asking for. The Colossians had come to a saving knowledge of God's grace through the message of the gospel. And now Paul and Timothy were praying that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. So they come to a saving knowledge of God's grace, and now he wants them to be continual, or he's continually asking that they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And there's so much more than what's contained in the message of the gospel. We have the entire word of God here. His will is made known. So, first of all, we always... It's from time to time, it's helpful to clarify this. God's will, God's will, what do we refer to? It's not something that's elusive. God's will is not something that's completely hidden. It's not something that we need to subjectively interpret through circumstances or personal experiences or our feelings. That's not how we find God's will. Rather, the will of God is made known and expressed through the word of God, which he has written down and preserved for us in the scriptures. It is through the word of God that we come to know the will of God and grow in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. 
It's through the word of God that we come to know the will of God. And we grow in wisdom and understanding. So, when Paul and Timothy prayed that the Colossians would be filled with the knowledge of God's will, the idea is not that they would just sit around and be infused with that knowledge with no action on their part, with no effort on their part. He's like, I'm praying that you would be filled while you're sitting there on your couch, brother. Hopefully God's will just kind of fill you regardless of what you do. The prayer is that they would be filled with this knowledge as a result of actively and diligently listening to and reading and studying and meditating on and internalizing God's word. And the reason for this prayer is expressed in verse 10. So leading up to this, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to what? Walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. There's, it's a means to an end. What's the end? It's to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. The call to live a worthy life, I mean, that's what we mean by the walk. It's the lifestyle. It's the direction in life. The call to live a worthy life appears in some of the apostles, uh, Apostle Paul's other, other letters. In Ephesians, he urged his readers to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. In Philippians, he exhorted his readers, let the manner of life, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. In 1 Thessalonians, he reminded his readers of how he had charged them to walk in a manner worthy of God. And here Paul expresses his desire for the Colossian Christians to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. That is the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's worthy. He is worthy. According to what Paul writes in this letter, Christ is preeminent in everything. All things were created through him and for him. Therefore, we should, having been saved by him, should live lives worthy of him. So what we have at the beginning of verse 10 is the ultimate goal for every Christian. That's the ultimate goal for every Christian. This sums up our purpose in life. If you're in Christ, this is your purpose in life. Our purpose is to live a life worthy of the Lord. That's your purpose. This is actually the purpose of really every person's life. I mean, Christ is the creator of all things. He's Lord of all. All things are created by him and for him. So it really is the purpose of every person's life. However, apart from being born again by the grace of God through faith in the gospel of Christ, this purpose is not fulfilled. It can't be fulfilled. People are bound in slavery to sin. Naturally, we're born in sin. Bound in slavery to sin and living in spiritual darkness and moral corruption. That's what man in his natural state inherits. But in Christ, through faith in Christ, with being born again, we are delivered from the power of sin. And we're given spiritual life and a new heart that desires to no longer live for ourselves, but for him who for our sake died and was raised. So that desire is supernatural. You know, we're not born in the world with that desire to live a life worthy of the Lord. 
We want to serve ourselves. We want to find purpose and meaning in everything else apart from him who created us. So to live a life worthy of the Lord is really the purpose of every person and those who have been saved by God's grace and are in Christ. We can actually live that out because he's given us a new heart with new desires, given us spiritual understanding, given us spiritual life. As Christians, our primary goal in life should be to walk in a manner worthy of him. And if you look back at verse 10, you'll see that Paul adds this statement, fully pleasing to him, fully pleasing to him. Literally, in every desire to please, in every desire to please. Living in a manner worthy of Christ is essentially a matter of seeking to please him in everything you do. Essentially what it boils down to is it's a matter of seeking to, are you seeking to please him in everything you do. Our decisions, our actions, our, our lifestyles should be determined and driven by a desire to please Christ. Your decisions, your actions, your lifestyle, all of that should be determined and driven by that desire to please. Not you, not other people, but Christ. This is how we honor him with our lives. You want to honor him with your life, there it is. Now, how do we know what a life worthy of Christ looks like? How do you know that? You just kind of guess? Uh, I don't know. I guess this would be worthy of Christ. This would please him, I guess. In my own thinking, how do we know what's pleasing to him? Well, we have it in the answer right here in Scripture, right? It must be what filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, as Paul and Timothy prayed. We must, as, as Paul writes later in this letter, we must let the word of Christ dwell in us richly. His word dwell in us richly. You see, Paul and Timothy did not just pray that the Christians at Colossae would just walk worthy, worthily of the Lord. They didn't just pray that. They could have, right? We pray that you guys walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. They didn't. Rather, they prayed for what would enable them to do that. Being filled with the knowledge of God's will through his word is the means to the goal of living in a manner worthy of him and pleasing him in every way. So this point is not isolated here in Colossians. It's actually made clear throughout all the scripture. I want to show you just a couple examples of that. But just keep that in mind. The means to living a life worthy of the Lord, which is ultimately your goal, the means to doing that is being filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, which is contained in his written word. So we see this, if we go all the way back to the Old Testament, we, we have Psalm 119, which is really a fascinating, really long psalm, but it's all really in praise of God's word, his word. And I want you to hear this. I want you to see this idea that God's word, just knowing it, isn't the end in and of itself. It, it's to drive you to, by means of that, it drives you to live a life worthy of him, to worship so you never study the Bible as just a mere textbook to have, you know, factual knowledge and just have a lot of trivia in your head. It's supposed to compel you and drive you to worship. And we see this in Psalm 119. And we can read along there. I think I have the verses up on the screen, too. Uh, and you can also turn there. We're going to read the first 16 verses. I want you to see this concept. 
The psalmist writes, blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. Blessed are those who keep his testimonies, who seek him with their whole heart, who also do no wrong, but walk in his ways. You have commanded your precepts to be kept diligently. Oh, that my ways may be steadfast in keeping your statutes. Then I shall not be put to shame, having my eyes fixed on all your commandments. I will praise you with an upright heart when I learn your righteous rules. I will keep your statutes. Do not utterly forsake me. How can a young man keep his way pure? By guarding it according to your word. With my whole heart I seek you. Let me not wander from your commandments. I have stored up your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. Blessed are you, O Lord. Teach me your statutes. With my lips I declare all the rules of your mouth. In the way of your testimonies I delight as much as in all riches. I will meditate on your precepts and fix my eyes on your ways. I will delight in your statutes. I will not forget your word. We can just read the, all of Psalm 119, but the point's clear, right? Worship, righteous living, abstaining from sin, and joy in the Lord, this experience of joy in the Lord, are all rooted in his word, knowledge of his word, letting his word dwell in him richly. So being filled with the knowledge of God through his word is what keeps us walking in his ways and praising him with an upright heart. That's what we saw. Now in Proverbs 2, we also see this is the wisdom book, wisdom 101 in the Bible. Introduction to God's wisdom, setting out the young man for life in this book. And we, we've covered that. We did a whole series on Proverbs. But if you remember, wisdom, again, isn't something that you just pray for and God infuses into, it, it, into you. It is something that you must diligently chase after, seek after, and pursue. It takes efforts. So Proverbs 2, look at this. Solomon writes, My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, which, by the way, the, his commandments that he's reiterating are the commandments of the Lord, making your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. Listen to this. From his mouth come knowledge and understanding. It's his word. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk in integrity, guarding the paths of justice and watching over the way of his saints. Then you will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path. That's important, right? How do you understand righteousness? How do you understand what's just, fair, good? It's through God's word. You will understand righteousness and justice and equity, every good path for wisdom will come into your heart and knowledge will be pleasant to your soul. And listen to this. Discretion will watch over you. Understanding will guard you. 
delivering you from the way of evil. Where does that discretion and understanding and wisdom come from? From the mouth of God. And God still speaks today, not in dreams and visions and little small voices that you have to shut off the music and listen for. He speaks continually through his living written word. So being filled with the knowledge of God through his word is what keeps us from the way of evil and keeps us in the fear of the Lord. This is walking in a manner worthy of him, this principle here. And finally, Romans 12, 1 and 2. Paul writes this in the New Testament. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Well, that sounds like a life worthy of the Lord. What does he say after that? Do not be conformed. He doesn't just say, do it. Present, live a holy and blameless life. Honor the Lord with your life. Just do it. He goes on to say, do not be conformed to this world. But be transformed by the renewal of what? Your mind. Your mind. That by testing you may discern what is the will of God. What is good and acceptable and perfect. It is by the word of God that someone is transformed his people are transformed and renewed in their mind what does that also tell you neglecting to be filled with the knowledge of god's word makes you susceptible to and inevitably you will conform to the likeness of this world the progress of our ongoing sanctification is dependent upon our minds being renewed by god's word your progress in your sanctification depends on your mind being renewed by God's word. Being filled with the knowledge of God through his word is what keeps us from being conformed to this world and it transforms us more and more to the likeness of Christ. That's what sanctification, this process is. We're being made more and more like Christ. But it doesn't just happen apart from us seeking to be filled with God's word. And I like this quote from one commentator. He says this, just to make it all really clear, the word of God provides absolutes, absolute truth. Those absolutes are the basis upon which all truth about God and all standards of faith and conduct are set. Because knowledge of those absolutes is the basis for correct behavior and ultimate judgment, it is crucial that Christians know God's revealed truth. Ignorance is not bliss. Nor can anyone please God on the basis of principles they do not know. The Bible views knowledge of doctrinal absolutes as foundational to godly living. Doctrine, theology, knowledge of the scriptures, that's the foundation for godly living. In our culture, there's a celebration of anti-intellectualism. You know, we, we kind of get are groomed to be mentally lazy. You know, I, I can only have so much of this teachy stuff. That sounds like theology and stuff that people, I don't know, in schools do. The reality is it's for everyone. You need to grow in the word of God in order to live a life worthy of God, to grow in godliness. That's the means God has chosen. He renews you, by the, or he transforms you by the renewal of your mind. 
So if you want to honor Christ with your life and please him, then you cannot neglect his word, can you? You can't neglect his word. You can't be mentally lazy. You can't be content with a very limited and superficial understanding of the scriptures. You can't be content to just stay there and not grow. We all must diligently seek after the very thing that will equip and enable us and drive us to live lives worthy of Christ. We must all diligently seek to grow in knowing his word so that we may live by it and therefore walk in a manner worthy of him. That's on every one of us. It's not just for the academics. It's not just for professors. It's not just for pastors. It's for every single Christian who desires to please Christ. Now, from where we left off in verse 10, and all the way through the first part of verse 12, Paul elaborates on what the life worthy of Christ looks like. That's what the rest of this passage is. It's Paul elaborating on what this worthy life looks like. He mentions four central qualities, you could say. And the first one is this, bearing fruits in every good work. That is, every kind of good work. So just so we're clear on this prayer, he's praying for what? That they be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's the request. The purpose for that is so that they would live lives worthy of the Lord. And now we're seeing, what does that look like? bearing fruit in every good work. Now Jesus said to his, had said to his disciples in John 15, By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit and so prove to be my disciples. A fruitless Christian is a false Christian. He says later in that passage, Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit. So God saves sinners through the Lord Jesus Christ, not only to demonstrate the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us, because it it does put that on display, which brings him glory. But also he saves sinners through Christ so that having been set free from sin, we would walk in his ways and practice righteousness in every kind of good work. And that brings him glory. Paul wrote in Ephesians, in his letter to the Ephesians, this, we are his workmanship, God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So we're born again, so this, we are new creatures, and we are created in Christ for what? Good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. See, there's a purpose uh, to why God saved you. Sometimes we shamefully just boil it all down to he saved me and you know so i don't i don't have the threat of coming eternal judgment in hell well that's the, it's in it sometimes we refer to that as it's like it's not just a get out of hell free card that's it, salvation is so much more than that he saved you to actually be a new creation in christ to to bear fruit and good works and bring him glory with your life so in paul's letter to titus Elsewhere, he said something similar to this as far as the purpose for our salvation. He stated that Christ gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness 
and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Zealous for good works. I'll tell you what, if you're in Christ, before Christ, you can remember that old self, right? Were you zealous for good works? Desiring to just please the Lord, submit your life to his will? You weren't. You were enslaved in bondage to your depravity, your sin, and you only sought to please yourself. So what exactly are these good works? Bearing fruit in every good work, every kind of good work. These good works are essentially, and again, this is a very general description of the worthy life of Christ. We see that. This is a very general description. Bearing fruit in every good work is essentially all forms of obedience and conformity to the will of God as revealed in his word. That's pretty, pretty general. That pretty much captures it. it, it it's, it it's conformity to and obedience to God's revealed will in his word. So, good works would then include what? Again, sometimes we limit these two. We think good works are like, yeah. as uh, some people might think little ways, like oh, you hold the door open for somebody, or maybe you give them a ride when they need one, you know, little acts of kindness or politeness. Well, good works is so much bigger than that. Good works would include loving and serving others. We know that, greatest commandment, loving God and loving others. Loving and serving others. Good works would include proclaiming the gospel and making disciples of Jesus Christ. Right? And last week, our brother Jim was talking about, again, bring us back to the Great Commission, making disciples, the mission of the church. Bearing fruit and good works. These good works would include bearing witness to the truth and authority of God's word. You are a witness to the truth and authority of God's world, uh, word in this world. It would include pursuing peace. Submitting to authority, practicing humility and kindness and self-control, and so on and so forth. These are all good works, because they all conform to the will of God and are in line in keeping with his commands. And if we're filled with the knowledge of God's will through his word, then we will be enabled to walk in obedience and conformity to his will. And by this, we will live worthily of Christ and please him. So again, the command isn't... You know, the, the prayer isn't just that, well, that you would be obedient. It is to drive you into God's word so that you would be filled with the knowledge of his will, which would lead you to be obedient to his ways. The second quality Paul mentions regarding living a life that is pleasing to the Lord is this. Increasing in the knowledge of God. You see that? He says that bearing fruit in every good work, increasing in the knowledge of God. Paul emphasized outward fruitfulness, and now he emphasizes internal growth, internal growth. And he's already acknowledged that the Colossians had come to know the grace of God in truth. They've come to know the grace of God when they learned and believed the gospel, and he then prayed that they would be filled with the knowledge of the will of God in order that they might increase in the knowledge of God. So the more we turn to God's word and learn of his holy character, his righteous judgments, his powerful works, his wise dealings, and his sovereign purposes, the more we will know him as he truly is. I mean, everybody thinks they know God or they know about God or, you know, everybody might have a perception of that. Even, even unbelievers, I've got a great relationship with God and they speak for God all the time. 
But we know him as he truly is when we go into his word and we actually are confronted with his person and works, his character. And the more we grow in God's word, the better we know God, which enables us to live in a manner worthy of and pleasing to him and worthy of and pleasing to his son. And if you don't know someone, how in the world do you know how to please that person? Be filled with the knowledge of God's will. The third quality that Paul mentions is this. In verse 11, you'll see it in verse 11. Being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience. Just a little more lengthy. In other words, being continually strengthened by God's infinite power so that you may have the endurance and patience for any situation that comes your way. That's essentially what that statement is meaning. Strengthened by God's power that you may have the endurance and patience needed for any situation that comes your way. Living in a manner worthy of Christ is no easy task. It isn't simple. It's hard. It's difficult. I mean, Sunday after Sunday, we're confronted with the will of God, and we're called to submit, to come under it. And, you know, Jeremy's in the uh, series on wives and husbands. Wives coming under submitting to their husbands it's like it's so hard and then husbands loving their wives of course in ephesians loving it as her, them as christ loved the church it's it's so difficult to really honor the lord and live in a manner worthy of him and first of all it's difficult because obviously we we have the ongoing internal fight against our indwelling sin sin still remains we still wrestle with sinful desires Sin is no longer our master, but certainly an ever-present wicked counselor. Don't do that. Do this. This will please you. Forget what God said. Do what feels right. But second of all, living in a manner worthy of Christ is is difficult. Because uh, to one degree or another, difficulties will come in life. Trials will come. Personal offenses will come. Opposition will come. Persecution will come. Honoring Christ with your life is challenged by circumstances and people. And we need the supernatural endurance and patience that God provides if we are to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. We need that. And that only comes through the strength that God supplies. You have to endure a lot. You have to be bear with a lot in life. And if you're trying to do that in some kind of patience and endurance that you're trying to muster up, you'll fail. You'll cripple. You'll crumble under that. You need the strength that God supplies. And don't miss the fact that we tap into the strength that God supplies first and foremost through his word. Again, in keeping with this prayer. To be filled with the knowledge of God so that you walk in a manner worthy of him. That includes being strengthened by his strength for endurance and patience. That's implying that really we are tapping into that strength first and foremost as we are getting into his word and his word is filling us. While all true Christians have the Holy Spirit, if you're in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit residing within you. God the Spirit lives within you. That's true. But there's little power seen in the lives of those who neglect the word of God. And it's a sad thing that we have someone who is born again, 
We have the Spirit of God, and so we, you know, we neglect the very thing that the Spirit uses to empower us. You don't see spiritual power in Christians who are negligent of the Scriptures. You read about Christians who live you know, lives that are evident of the power of God. They, Time and time again, you'll see that they have a thorough understanding of the Word of God. They are immersed in the Word of God. It dwells within them richly. That's the means that God uses and the Spirit uses. So if your mind is filled with a whole lot of the world, but very little of the Word, then you will certainly lack the endurance and patience needed in the face of life's difficulties. More TV and music, blogs, news, articles, let me just hear so much from the world very little time for the Word of God. Again, in the face of life, life's difficulties, you'll have anxiety. You'll crumble. You won't be able to bear up. We need the Word of God. If we neglect the Word of God, we will lack in that divine empowerment to walk in a manner worthy of Him. So the more we are filled with the knowledge of God's Word, the more empowered we will be. That's the idea. The more you are filled with the knowledge of God's Word, the more empowered you will be. Neglect that, less power in your life, less of God's power in your life. The Spirit of God, get this, the Spirit of God uses the Word of God to equip and empower us to live lives worthy of God. Okay, so the Spirit of God works in conjunction all the time with His Word, with the Scriptures. This is what the Spirit of God uses to equip and empower us to live lives worthy of God. And then finally, the fourth quality that Paul mentions that is characteristic of a life worthy of Christ is at the beginning of verse 12, joyfully giving thanks to the Father. And I say joyfully giving thanks, you'll notice that seems to be a little different than the way if you're looking at the ESV, it's worded. Because of the phrase with joy, you see that, right? With joy. And then it says, giving thanks to the Father, as in they're separated and it's attaching with joy to endurance and patience. But I would say it's more likely qualifying the phrase giving thanks rather than the phrase in endurance and patience. That would actually be more consistent with what Paul is making or these statements he's making. Um, Bearing fruit in every good work. Increasing in the knowledge of God. Being strengthened with all power. And then giving thanks, it's with joy. With joy. And actually, that's how it's translated in most modern translations. NAS, the Holman Christian, the NIV, NLT, NET. So again, a lot of translations pick that up. So it's joyful thanksgiving to God the Father. And the question is, why, why is joyful thanksgiving to the Father part of this list that character, characterizes a life worthy of Christ. Why, why is joyful thanksgiving to the Father there? Because it bears witness to the fact that our salvation and new life in Christ are God's gracious gift. I mean, you wouldn't be thankful for you know, something that you earned. I earned it, or I deserve it. Right? Giving thanks to God bears witness to the fact that we are saved by His grace, and we are continuing ever continuing in His grace. Apart from God's tremendous grace made possible through the work of Christ, we, we would have remained in utter spiritual darkness. 
enslaved to sin, driven by the evil desires of our wicked hearts, and foolishly stumbling through life with a damning sense of personal autonomy, independence. Yet God graciously chose to save us and to give us understanding and newness of life in Christ and to bring us into fellowship with himself. And that's a continual cause for joyful thanksgiving. Sometimes we, we don't continue to think on the realities of our salvation, the grace we've received. Are you kidding me? Remember who you were if you're in Christ. We continue in grace. We're saved by grace. And so, remember Paul and Timothy's prayer. They prayed that the Colossians would be filled with the knowledge of God's will. And I want to keep going back so you don't miss these connections. That they would be filled with the knowledge of God's will in order that they would walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, which includes continually giving joyful thanks to the Father. So, in other words, the more you read and study and meditate on the Word of God, the more astounded you will be by God's grace and mercy and kindness towards you. So really, immersing yourself in the Word of God is going to produce joyful thanksgiving. Because the more you're confronted with God's holy character and the abundance of the grace and the realities of the salvation that you have in Christ, which you do not deserve the more you're confronted with that, the more reason you have to give thanks. Neglect that and just minimize all that God's done for you in Christ, in your own mind, in your own recollection. There's, okay, there's, your thanksgiving is limited. The more you're in the word of God and you're confronted with the grace of God and the knowledge of the realities of your salvation that compels you to be grateful. And every Sunday we come and we sing, you know, songs, hymns, hymns, and spiritual songs. No hymns today, none of those, the classic hymns, but we have a blend of all these, these great songs written out throughout church history and even today. And all of them are really giving, giving joyful thanks to God. And they're helpful sometimes for us because sometimes we come in and we're not really feeling very thankful to God for our salvation because we're continuing in his grace, but yeah, we're so weighed down with the cares of this life with difficult circumstances or with just the immediate distractions that we have taken our eyes off the glorious reality of our salvation. And hopefully the songs that we sing not only are expression of praise to God, but they're also instructing us, reminding us of the joy of our salvation. So we've seen that in Paul and Timothy's prayer that being filled with the knowledge of God's word leads us into good works and increasing knowledge of God spiritual strength and joyful thanksgiving and these things please the lord jesus christ and characterize a life worthy of him neglect the word of god those things will be absent they'll be diminished in your life so if you wonder from time to time am i fulfilling god's purpose for my life sometimes we try to personalize it and customize it so much god's will for my life a special plan and purpose for me if you're asking, am I fulfilling his purpose for my life? The question you should ask is this. Am I living in a manner worthy of Christ and seeking to please him? To know the answer to that question, you should ask, am I fruitful in good works? That is, am I obeying his commands and applying his wisdom and doing what is good in his eyes? Am I increasing in my knowledge of him? Am I exhibiting endurance and patience? Because I am consciously relying on his power to strengthen me. Not trying to be self-sufficient. Am I doing that? 
Am I joyfully giving thanks to God? And if the answer is no, or not really, to any of these questions, then the problem is most likely what? A lack of the influence of God's word in your life. So the solution is this. Diligently seek to be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Get into God's word so that it will get into you and equip and empower and guide you to live in a manner worthy of Christ. That's the remedy. That's the means by which we are to reach the goal of living in a manner worthy of him. And that is your purpose in life, Christian. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you for your grace. We, we are astounded by your mercy and kindness towards us. The more we understand the reality of our sin and rebellion against you and, and your holy and righteous character, the more amazed we are at your, your grace and kindness that you poured out on us. We were undeserving of salvation, and yet you rescued us, Lord, so that we, having new life in Christ, would live lives worthy of you and please you and be fruitful and productive for you and bring you glory. So our prayer is, is what, for us is what Paul and Timothy's prayer was for the Colossians, Lord. We pray that we would, by means of your word, be filled with the knowledge of your will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Equip us, strengthen us, help us to have the, the focus and the discipline and the desire, Lord, to nourish our souls with your word and your wisdom and your will. In Jesus' name, amen.